Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning, Redemption. It's great to be with you all. We are going to be continuing in the Gospel of Matthew. We will be in Matthew 14. You can turn there now in your Bibles. If you want to grab the little pew Bibles that are on some of the seats, you can grab that. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep that and take that home. Consider that a gift from us. Um, As I said, we're going to be continuing in Matthew. And uh, if you have been with us for the last couple weeks, you know that we were out of our series in Matthew for quite some time. Last week, Pastor Scott caught us back up to speed of where we are in the gospel account of Jesus recorded by Matthew. Last week, if you remember, we saw that uh, Jesus lost his good friend, John the Baptist. John was beheaded because of King Herod uh, being coerced by his jealous wife. We saw that John the Baptist had been a bold and faithful prophet in the kingdom. And he, he and Jesus were actually like not just friends, not just born at the same time, but they were co-prophets together in the kingdom. And so we saw last week, Scott showed us that ultimately in following Jesus, it will cost us everything. We see that following Jesus will cost us everything because ultimately it costs Jesus everything. So it would only make sense then as we are brought into the kingdom as those coming in behind Jesus that the gospel require everything from us. And we're seeing that now, even if you remember when Scott showed us that chart of where we are in the gospel of Matthew, we are already beginning to transition towards Jerusalem. Jesus is already, he's going to be continuing to teach and preach and heal people, but all things now are starting to slow down as we make our way to Jerusalem, ultimately to the cross. So interestingly about our passage today, it literally picks up right where we left off last week. It's almost as if we just turn from one shot to the next, but it's the exact same scene in a movie. So we're going to be in Matthew 14. I want you now to listen as I read, starting in verse 13. This is a really popular story. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000. You've probably heard at least one sermon. You probably at least know some of the things about that, you know, the loaves and the fishes and the sweet little boy who brings his meal to Jesus and Jesus miraculously feeds everybody. Well, I want us to, in one sense, hold back on any conclusions of what we think this passage is about, because I think Matthew's going to highlight some pretty interesting things in this passage that maybe we haven't picked up on before. So Matthew 13, or Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, meaning he heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That desolate place, in one, some translators call that a wilderness. He wanted to go out to the desert alone. But when the crowd heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw this great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. But when it was evening, the disciples came to him, and they said, Jesus, this is a desolate place. The day is over. Send the crowd away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. 
Jesus said, bring it here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples then gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, plus women and children. So when this passage is preached, one of the most clear and most often maybe preached about parts is the compassion of Jesus, which is true. Jesus is very compassionate. He's very loving towards this crowd. He's kind and loving towards them. He provides this amazing provision, like somehow everyone wants to know, how did he do it? Like, were there the fish and then they just kept multiplying or suddenly they all blinked and that's what everyone wants to know. That's what people spend a lot of time trying to figure out. And that's what, again, the goal is like, okay, we see, okay, Jesus is compassionate. Jesus provides. Yes, that is true. But let's think about this for a second. What had Jesus just heard? He had literally just heard that his best friend, one of his best friends, had been brutally beheaded by the king. Think about the last time you got some really bad news. Maybe it was death. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was financial. Just like news where you were like, I just need some space. I, I can't help anybody. I can't fix anything. I just need some time. That's where Jesus is. And what happens to Jesus? He is suddenly surrounded by thousands of people who need him. If you're anything like me, talk about worst case scenario. When all you want is just, can I just get a couple minutes? Nope, you are the center of attention and everybody now needs you. That's what's going on here with Jesus. Matthew's highlighting in this that he is compassionate. But what we're gonna see, and we're gonna jump into this in just a second after we pray, is that Jesus isn't just compassionate, but Jesus is actually gonna call his disciples in their own lack, in their own doubt, in their own weakness, to actually partner with him in this provision. Which already we can see, okay, so following Jesus doesn't mean that you have to have your act together. Following Jesus basically means I realize I'm a beggar who found bread, and now I tell other people where the bread is. That's a quote from a famous author. I didn't make that up. So what we're going to see, main point today, is that Jesus is the shepherd provider, but who teaches his disciples to use their own lack and weakness because their strength is supplied by his own life and power. That's what we're going to be unpacking. So let's just take a minute and pray. <clears throat> Jesus, as we look at this account of you feeding people, Jesus, we ask that you would feed us today. Jesus, we ask that you, through the truth of your scripture, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are as our provision, Jesus, would that feed our souls today? Jesus, thank you that this week, even as 
I've tried to study this, and it's been a week of weakness and anxiety and doubt and some sleepless nights. God, thank you that you were preparing me to be weak so that your provision would be abundantly clear. Pray, God, for those of us here who are full of weakness, which is all of us, but maybe we don't all realize it right now. I pray, Jesus, that we would be overwhelmed at what a provider you are. I pray, God, even for those who barely made it here, who are questioning how they're going to figure it out, would we see you today, Jesus? Which doesn't mean we suddenly get all the answers, but it means that we relocate our faith back to you, our source. So Jesus, we ask for your help. Thank you for your word, which is clear. I ask for help as I try to communicate this. Jesus, would we be transformed in the hearing of your word preached? In Jesus' name, amen. By way of introduction, have you ever heard of a hyperlink? Most of us probably know what a hyperlink in is. If you are maybe a little bit older, you're not on the internet as much, a hyperlink is basically on a web page, and it's something you click on that directs you somewhere else. So if it says, click here to move to the next page, you click on that button, and it moves you forward. Or it'll say, click here to be directed to this other page, and then you can click on it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Everybody kind of know? Okay, that, that's, that's a hyperlink. You can build hyperlinks. They can take you forwards, backwards. It's how you navigate on the internet. You might be thinking, okay, duh. Well, what's interesting, in his own way, Matthew is a big fan of hyperlinks. Matthew is constantly layering things in to his story of Jesus that are directing us backwards, that are giving us hints of what is to come. Matthew's a big fan of the hyperlink. But often, we miss the hyperlinks. We read a story like this at face value, and we say, okay, well... Five loaves, two fish, Jesus was grieving, Jesus is compassionate, Jesus provides, great, we move on. And that's all we see. It's because we're missing the hyperlink. It's because we're missing the intentional things that Matthew is building in to show us what's actually happening. So we're going to pull out some of these things today to really understand what's happening with the feeding of the 5,000. But I'm also just going to say, if you like me, want to grow in how to read your Bible, how to understand the Bible, how to see more than just the surface level on the text, one of the best things you can do is really know the story of God. Because if you know the flow of what God has done in creation, what he's doing in calling a people to himself, what he's doing in drawing people towards Jesus, why he's taking all things towards a new creation, if you understand the story and then you can dig into the details of the story, you're going to read this passage and be like, oh my gosh, I see what Matthew is saying. Yes, this is about Jesus providing, but there is so much more here. So I encourage you, if you want to grow in reading your Bible and knowing Jesus, know the story. So we're going to jump in, and we're kind of going to just going to hit the obvious thing at first, and then we're going to move into kind of explore a couple of these little hyperlinks in there. The first thing that we see is just that Jesus truly is the shepherd provider of the people of God. Again, this is abundantly clear just on an initial reading. 
We see, again, as we already mentioned, that Jesus was seeking solitude. He's seeking an isolated place. Some commentators say he's in the wilderness. The actual Greek wording there is the word for Jesus wanted to go to the wilderness. But he has this massive crowd around him who are looking for him to heal, to teach, to bless them. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's pause. Wait a minute. We have a man in the wilderness surrounded by a crowd of people who are looking for him to do stuff for them, looking for him to lead them. Possible hyperlink? Does it sound familiar at all? Do you know of any other time in the Bible when there was a group, a multitude of people in the wilderness, there was one person leading them? Anybody? Moses. This is a clear hyperlink to Moses. Matthew is directing us back in the story to when Moses rescued, redeemed, brought the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the wilderness, taking them to the new land. And what does, through Moses, God provide for the people out of heaven? Bread. Bread from heaven comes down to the people of God. So Matthew is obviously pointing us back to that. Obviously, he's showing us Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses was doing for the people of God. Except differences. Moses rescued people out of the land of Egypt from a cruel dictator, leading them through a desert to the promised land, Jesus is actually rescuing his people from the greatest enemy of all, Satan, sin, and death, leading us through this world to not a promised land, to a new creation. That's where Jesus is leading us. So do you see, okay, he's like Moses, but he is a better, a truer, a more full, complete Moses. That's what, that's what Matthew's showing us here. So Jesus is the shepherd provider of the people. Again, even like Matthew makes this comment that Jesus directs them to sit on the grass. Kind of an odd anecdote, okay? Grass. Shepherding imagery is happening here. There's 12 baskets left over. Hmm. 12. Have we heard the number 12 before? Yeah. This is most likely pointing us back to the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is the language of fullness and completion. Matthew's showing us Jesus doesn't just provide. Jesus gives an abundance for who? For all of the people of God. All of the people of God being fed by Jesus, the shepherd provider. That's what the 12 baskets left over is pointing us to. So, I, I want us, though, to pause on this for a second. I think Eric actually already like, alluded to this in our kids' catechism, which is great. Let's consider this point of Jesus as provider, because in one sense, this could just be like, a, oh, that's a cool little factoid. Let's move on now. No, let's camp on this for a second, church. Do we live our lives like we have a God who is our provider? If we are honest... We all would have to say no. Because we bust our butts and we overwork 
all the time. We get anxious about money and provision, and we just think, oh, well, this is normal, right? We worry about where the money is going to come from, how good the bank account is doing, how the pantry is doing, how the health savings account is doing, how our Roth IRA is doing. Because if we don't worry about it, who will? No one else is coming to save me. It's all on me. But yet then we say, oh yeah, God, you're a provider and we sing to you. Do you, do you see the disconnect of how we functionally live our lives but the theology we say we believe does not impact our life. Again, please don't hear me like condemning you because I'm literally sharing with you about my week. <laughs> this is my life this week, being anxious about so many little things. I better figure this out and worry about this because no one else is going to do it. So if we're honest, what does that show we really think God is like? Basically, he saved us and kind of was like, okay, go, figure it out. doesn't sound like a shepherd provider who's going to care for our needs. And another thing that I want us to hit on that I was just thinking about this week is if, if I came to you right now and I said, hey, I'm really struggling with these anxieties and this depression and I don't know how God's going to provide and here's these things, you would say to me, truth. You would say to me, Nate, God is a compassionate provider. Nate, God will meet you. God will take your weakness and you, you would share things like that with me, right? But are you able to receive those same things back? No, because if we're on, again, if we're honest again, we often can dispense out truth to others, but we don't really believe that the truth about Jesus as a shepherd provider is true for us. It's true for everybody, but I don't know if it's true for me. Is he really going to be my provider? It's easy for me to tell someone, oh, well, no, don't worry, God will care for you. He will do this. But then when I'm in my own dark night of the soul, in my own dark closet, when I put up my own Little hood, one of my old friends used to joke at me because whenever I'd put my head up, he knew something was off, which is true. It's really easy for me to dispense it, but it's hard for me to say, yeah, no, he, he is going to be my compassionate provider as well. So, church, what I want you to think about this is, would, again, remember Jesus, he's grieving, he's wounded, his soul is wrecked, he's wanting to be alone. This crowd comes around him and he heals, he teaches, he provides for them. Would Jesus do that for you? Does he love you personally with your own quirks and weirdness and sins and bad habits and addiction and things that you've done? Would he love you? Or is it just for other people? Is Jesus really your shepherd? Here's the question though. What would happen in your life if you confidently lived in expectation that God would provide? Like what would look different if you really knew he's gonna provide? I can bank on it. What would look different? I know in my life, if I really deeply came to believe deeper and deeper that God has my back, that I can bank on God, I can tell you Nate would probably not complain 
Nate would be much less depressed or anxious. Nate would probably be really generous. Nate would probably not freak out at every single little thing that happens because it's like, wait, freaking out, but wait a minute. God has my back. Wait a minute, here's all these unknowns about my life or my health or my body or these things happening. I don't know what this means. Wait a minute. There is one who knows and one who has promised himself to be for me. Okay? Do you see the disconnect? Like, if we actually deeply believed and lived in expectation that he will provide, what would that look like in your life? Again, that would look different in all of our lives. And again, and this is where we need to consider that if Jesus is that shepherd provider who's compassionate, who's full of power, what does that mean then if our job is to now go make disciples? If we have this kind of a faithful lover of our souls, the shepherd of our souls, is our job now to go out and tell people like, look how awesome my life is. Don't you want to come be like me? Look at, oh, my life, I got saved, I cleaned up my act. Look how good I have it now. You should come follow Jesus. Again, if we're honest, we often approach discipling people that way. Oh, oh look at my life, look at my marriage, look at, look at how all of my life got changed because of Jesus. Ultimately, if you do that, you're drawing people to yourself, not to Jesus. Because a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, is a beggar who found bread who's going to tell other beggars where to find the bread. You're still a beggar, but you now know where the bread is found, which means you have lack. You know your weakness. You are not drawing people to yourself. You are drawing people to where the bread is, and hopefully they forget about you because then they find the bread. So that means that our role as disciples is to take people to the real source of power, even in our weakness and in our lack. And that's, you might be thinking, okay, where is this going right now? That's what happens with the disciples. The disciples, Jesus uses the disciples' own lack and weakness and doubt so they can see his power. It's kind of the second thing that we're going to jump into now. This, this blew my mind as I began to see this this week, that Jesus uses his disciples in their lack, in their doubt, and he uses them to show his power. So look, look, at, look in the verses. It was evening, disciples came to him, and they said, Lord, we're like out in the middle of nowhere. Party's over. Tell these people to go home. So the disciples, in one sense, they see the problem. They kind of assess the problem. They say, Jesus, here's our solution that we're bringing to you. People without food, far from town, the only food around. I mean, in one sense, it's kind of like, what were these people thinking? Like, there's thousands of people. There's enough food that, like, that one person brought for one person. Like, literally, that's, that's all there was. Like, thousands of mouths to feed. So their solution, party's over, everybody go home. So they say, Jesus, we've assessed the situation, verse 15. Here's what we need to do. This is the most practical thing that would make sense, Jesus. You should tell everybody, we're done. Maybe come back tomorrow. Pause. Do you, hear, do you hear yourself in that? Hey, Jesus, I've assessed the situation. This is really bad. I don't know if this can get resolved. Maybe we can just move on, or maybe you can just 
do something with this. This is really bad. The situation in my life is really bad. They bring this problem to Jesus along with their solution. And what does Jesus say to them? It's almost comical. You give them something to eat. Uh, 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 Jesus, um, did you hear us? I don't, I don't know if you're tracking with what we've been telling you. I mean, do you see that there? It's like, wait, what? Like, give, you get, like, wait, gee, okay. Jesus is calling them to be part of the solution. That's what's happening here. Not to offload the problem. Jesus is saying, I want you to step into this calling. You see this problem? What if you actually are the one who's going to step in and actually provide the solution for it? And how do they respond? Look at the next verse. Well, this is all we got. Jesus, like, yes, Lord, we see it. A little bit of loaves and fish. We, Jesus, we've already done the due diligence. We've already figured it out. This is all that there is. This puny, minimal amount we don't have enough. This is impossible. Again, church, do you hear yourself? This was me all this week. We bring our issues to Jesus. We bring other people's issues to Jesus. We bring the problems in our world and society to Jesus. And we say, Lord, this isn't going to be enough. And what does Jesus say to us? You do it. You do it. But then we say, no, no, Jesus, I don't think you understand. This is impossible. All we have, Jesus, is this weakness. All we have in the face of this multitude is this puny amount of bread and fish. And what does Jesus say? In the face of their lack their lack of means, their lack of skill, their lack of faith, their lack of wisdom, their lack of ingenuity. Verse 18. If you're a Bible writer, you write in your Bible, I encourage you to circle verse 18. Bring it here to me. Jesus says to them, give me what you see as inadequate and I will make it sufficient. You are not the sufficiency. You are not the one who is strong enough, good enough, brave enough, worthy enough, but bring me your lack and I will fill it. Jesus says, bring your meager faith, your meager resources to me. Redemption. What is Jesus saying to you in that? Where is he telling you, bring me your loaves and fishes? Bring me your energy, your service, your gifts, your love of the arts, your words, your skills, your talents, your desires to see things change, your ability to love people. Bring it to me, and I will not only bless it, but then I'll commission you to use that. What's been that thing in your life that you've just been like, 
bring it to Jesus. This is a problem. This is a problem. Can't fix it. No one's doing anything about it. Huh. You give them something to eat. Is it possible that Jesus is calling you into a vocation in that? Jesus is commissioning us to be part of the solution to the problems that we see. Again, and this is what's crazy. We see this right here in this text, this paradox of following Jesus, that the requirement is lack, but willingness. Weakness, but coming to Jesus. Not being strong, but recognizing the one who is strong. This is the paradox of grace. This is the paradox of the gospel. So what do the disciples do? They bring the meager amount of food to Jesus and look at verse 19, what Jesus does next. What he does is so mysterious, it's so powerful that it's even difficult to describe. He takes what they bring him in their lack of faith, in their weakness, in their insufficiency, and look at what the text says. Again, if you're a writer in your Bible, there's four verbs. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Hyperlink number two. This time we're not looking backwards. We're looking forwards. Matthew is giving us a preview of what is to come. So commentators, was, I actually had a vent session with Scott, our other pastor this week, about certain commentators this week. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, I can tell you after, but they disagree about, is this pointing us to something or is this not? Because this whole idea of taking the meal, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it, this is standard Jewish practice at a meal, that the one who is presiding over a meal would take the meal, bless it, distribute it to everybody. So like, that was just normal, right? So the fact that Matthew lists it isn't a big deal. But why would Matthew, again, if you understand how the biblical manuscripts were wrote, like every word had to be so intentional. Like it wasn't like today where we just have excess of like paper and ability to write. So if Matthew's gonna record something, he's gonna have a really important reason for it. Why would he take the time to write out what was normal Jewish practice at the time? Possibly if he's wanting to tip us off to something else. So in one sense, that would seem odd Unless he's connecting Jesus feeding people and he's connecting this meal to another meal. This same phrasing, take, bless, break, give, is the exact same phrasing used at the Last Supper. It's the exact same phrasing used at another meal. When Jesus was not giving bread I mean, he actually gave bread, but he said, I'm giving something else. I'm giving my body for you. Matthew 26, we'll read this again at the end, but Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, says, this is Jesus at the Last Supper. He's about to go to the cross. While they were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. So what's Matthew doing by linking these two meals 
Matthew is showing us that Jesus takes our weakness, takes our lack, he makes it sufficient, then he actually sends us because all of our sufficiency in provision is tied into what he does at the cross. Jesus himself through the cross is the true source of provision. This is the final thing we're going to look at for today. This is ultimately how we are to view what is happening in Matthew 14. That this is ultimately what is happening with Jesus feeding these 5,000 people. Matthew is showing us that the true provision of God for his people is indisputably linked to how God has provided Jesus. And what's interesting is that by linking this on purpose, Matthew is showing, wait a minute, what about provision for the people who weren't in that crowd? What about the people who weren't there at the Last Supper? What about the people who weren't there in that crowd of 5,000 people? How will God provide for those people? God's provision is seen at the cross. When Jesus took his own body and blessed it and broke it and gave it for us. This is how, church, you can know that God is your ultimate shepherd provider. And if I can be honest, maybe a little, um, I don't know if the word is rebuke or... Donna, what was that word you prayed for? Admonish, thank you. Donna prayed for me before I preached, and she said the word admonish, which I'd been thinking about this in terms of this part of the sermon. Maybe some admonishment for us. Some of us here have a general vague sense of like, oh, God will provide. He's faithful, right? God will provide. Oh, yeah, like that's just in his character, right? So I just know he's going to provide. He's going to be faithful. That is true. But don't you know why? Not just because he's some generic faithful God. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will provide because of the cross. Because God took his own son and tore him to shreds so that you could know in your worst days, he's not left me. He's going to provide. Some of us need to get out of puny faith world and like, oh, well, yeah, he's going to provide. Oh, yeah, he's faithful. No, he's going to provide because of Jesus. And you can know that, and you can bank on that. And in your really bad nights, you can put your head on your pillow and say, gosh darn it, this sucks, but he's going to provide. Not just because God is generically faithful, but because of Jesus, because of the cross. That's why we can know he's not just some shepherd provider like Moses. He is the better and greater Moses. This is why then he can take your weakness and your insufficiency and your lack and your doubts and your puny faith and make it strong because you are locked into him in his strength, in his provision, which was seen when he was hanging naked on a cross, which is like the most foolish, stupid thing in the world. Like somebody hanging naked on a cross, that's the source of God's power. That seems like the most foolish thing in the world. The wisdom of God 
is seen in the folly of men. Do you see that, church? In what we see as foolishness and weakness, God's greatest display of strength was being accomplished. Again, it's just crazy. That's why we come to Jesus and we're like, no, no, I don't think you understand this problem. Jesus, here's how bad this is. And he says, you give them something to eat. Bring it here to me and I will make it sufficient. So, as we prepare to close, remember earlier I asked you, what would happen if you confidently lived in expectation that God will provide? What would happen if you knew you could bank on God? Well, here's how you know it. Because Jesus took that bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. How can you live in confident expectation on God when you see that Jesus in his own body has done that for you. And what I don't want us to miss is that we're seeing the source of our provision, which is tied into Jesus, which is tied into what he has done, what he has accomplished for us. But we're also seeing the disciples being given a vocation, the disciples being given a calling. Jesus gives himself, but then he calls us in a sense, to be priests in this world, to be those who are sent out on behalf of Jesus, not telling people, look how good I have it, but telling people, I found bread, and it's really good, and it's never going to run out, and it is always there in abundance and plenty for anybody who wants to come and see this bread. So just some closing questions for us before we pray and then go to communion. What is holding you back from coming to Jesus? Are you worried that your own loaves and fishes are too small? That your faith isn't good enough or strong enough or real enough? Think about this. The disciples have been with Jesus now, arguably for at least a couple years. And they still said, let's find a practical solution to this. <laughs> we probably would have done the same thing. Rather than just coming to Jesus and saying like, hey, like, we're stumped. What, what should we do here? So what do you think is holding you back from coming to Jesus? What is Jesus this morning telling you to bring it here to me? What kind of a calling do you think he might be laying on your heart? Where is he maybe calling you to act on something that you have been seeing as an issue, as a problem, as a way someone maybe needs to be served, as something that needs to change, as something lacking in the life of Redemption Church? I'll give a quick open invitation. If you see deficiencies in our church family, if you see things that are not being done, if you see needs not being met, are you willing to say that? I know Scott and I both would love to hear that from you, of where you might be sensing this vocational calling from the Spirit to say, you know, I think I need to step in and do this. Jesus will take our insufficiency and send us into vocation because his own death in the midst of weakness 
shows that he's always going to provide our strength. We can have the band come up now, and I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to transition to communion. Jesus, we do thank you that that all of our strength and provision is tied into something that you have done, not tied to how strong or weak we think we are. Jesus, we thank you that the gospel itself does not demand that we go from being weak to strong to then we just keep being strong. No, but that the gospel calls us continually in the midst of ongoing weakness to see our weakness transformed into strength because of the one who is our shepherd provider. Jesus, I do pray that even this morning that there would be new giftings stirred up, that you would be pricking hearts in new ways to say, I need to step out and do this. Where there is fear, where there is doubt, where there is a sense of insufficiency, Jesus, would we hear your gentle rebuke, your gentle admonishment and say, you do it. You give them something to eat. Jesus, this means that all of us here have no excuses for where you are calling us to step in maybe to a deeper level of faith, a deeper level of commitment, a deeper level of partnership, either here at Redemption Church or in following you, Jesus. Thank you that you are sufficient and that we find all of our sufficiency and all of our rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.